carrying our cross uh, just a little bit more. But as we begin this uh, lesson this morning, this is probably just more of a devotional than anything. Uh, There's so much to it, and I'm just barely, barely going to scratch the surface of it. If you're listening, perhaps by the time I'm done, you would think, man, but what about this, and what about this? And there's a lot of different levels, Um, but uh, just bear with me. This is uh, pretty light, but uh, John chapter 19 is where I want to begin. John chapter 19, I want to look first at Christ and the fact that he carried his, his own cross. And you might be thinking, well, but I thought that Simon carried his cross. Well, there's a little bit of both. Uh, In John chapter 19 and verse 16, it says, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Now if you go over to, there's no mention of Simon there bearing his cross, but if you go over to Matthew chapter 27, and it's also mentioned in the other Gospels, Simon is in all the other Gospels, and we know that the Word of God doesn't contradict itself, and when you read through the Gospels, um, each as each Gospel was written, there was a particular emphasis of that gospel. And so certain things, maybe the same accounts, the same stories about Jesus' ministry would be mentioned, but one would add one thing and another would leave it out and so forth. And we see that even in the crucifixion of Christ where it speaks about the, the um, two malefactors, the two thieves on the cross, and how uh, one believed on him. But if you go to another, it, talks, it shows how they both cursed him. And, uh, and so, um, it's not contradiction, but Matthew chapter 27, verse 31 says this, after, And after that they mocked him, and they took the robe off of him, and put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found, found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And so, um, in reading different commentators on this, um, it is, it is very, I, this is what I believe as I was uh, reading what they said, I, I, I agree with it, is that uh, Simon helped him bear his cross. Mm-hmm. And he helped with the load. And as, as I was studying crucifixions and what went on in a crucifixion, um, uh, I found that these crosses were very heavy. Um, just the cross beam alone, which is what they carried, the, the upright part of the cross was always fixed in the ground. And the cross beam is what they, was what they actually carried. And just that cross beam would weigh between 75 and 125 pounds. Now you can imagine Jesus being beaten. He had been scourged and whipped, so his flesh was open. Um, I believe certain passages speak of the facts that even some of his ribs were showing. Um, his beard had been ripped out of his face. Um, he had been struck brutally in the face. A crown of thorns was placed on his head. And then here now he's supposed to carry his cross. He's going to carry, he probably weighed around 175 pounds. He's probably just an average sized man. And he's supposed to carry a cross that weighs 75 to 125 pounds up a hill to a place where he is going to be crucified. And so... He was, his, his 
image was so marred. Um, he was in such bad shape that as he left, now this society was used to seeing crucifixions. It was a thing that happened in, right. in that society and it had been going on for hundreds of years. And so, uh, but as he was led out, there's a pat in one of the passages it speaks of how the women and the young people were wailing and, and weeping over the sight of him. And he turned to the, them and said, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves because right. of what's going to happen to Jerusalem shortly. And, uh, but that's, it was a shocking scene. And, and lost people even were weeping and wailing when they, when they viewed him. And so here he is. He's supposed to carry his cross. Now, the passages that we're going to look at, go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 14. Um, we'll look at Luke 14, Mark 10, and Matthew 16. And in each instance, he's speaking to a different kind of people. But I want to point out before we read those passages that Jesus, before Jesus went to the cross, he spoke of the necessity of carrying our cross and following him. So it's not as though he had died on the cross, he had been buried and he was resurrected, and then he was telling people afterwards about the necessity for us now to bear our cross. He was telling people about the need for people if they're going to come and they're going to follow him, uh, speaking figuratively, he was saying, um, he that does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, in that society, they knew what it meant to bear a cross. That had been going on for a long time. And so um, I'm going to look at that a little bit today. But first, let's just read these three passages. Luke 14 and beginning in verse 25. And there went a great multitude, great multitudes with him. So I want you to notice who he's talking to here. Great multitudes. And he turned to them and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And as we've talked about in the past, when it says hate not his father and mother, it doesn't mean you're supposed to hate your father and mother, but they're not to be top priority in your life. Um, you can't let them come between you and following Christ. And so, and he goes on, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. And then notice this. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Now turn over to, we'll get back to these passages, but turn over to Mark chapter 10. So in this passage, he's speaking to the multitudes. And in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, he's speaking to one individual. <clears throat> it says in Mark 10, 17, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running. And I was thinking about the, the imagery of this. You know, there's a, a young man in another passage that mentions that he was a young man. And here's a man with a sense of urgency. It says he comes running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do 
that I may inherit eternal life. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went a great grieved, for he had great possessions. So in this passage, we see that Jesus tells this one man, along with selling whatsoever you have, um, which was the most important thing in his life, because he didn't want to give up his possessions. Everybody has something that stands in the way of them coming to Christ, right? There's always that, that thing. I had my thing, you had your thing. That, that fight, that battle, if I do, if I, if I come to Christ, if I trust in Him, then that means fill in the blank. That's what this is really talking about, is the fill in the blank. And for this man, he loved his possessions. And even though he wanted eternal life, he went away grieved. And it says he went away sad and grieved. He was sad at that saying. He went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And then turn over finally to Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, we see Jesus instructing to take up his, for people to take up their cross. But this time he's actually talking to his disciples. Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples. See, notice who he's talking to. To his disciples, how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And then notice this, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And we'll get back. Uh, well, first I have another passage. I'll just read this. There's a parallel passage in, in Luke chapter 9. And uh, to what we just read, and in this it, it adds something just a little bit different. It says, And he said unto them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. We'll look at that later. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And so, uh, just by way of introduction, when a person... Uh, was to be executed by death on a cross. It was customary that the condemned would bear his own cross to the place of his own execution. What a, what a brutal concept. That it's bad enough that you're going to be executed, but you have to bear the instrument upon which you're going to die. And so I want to um, 
read, I, I studied several different sources, and I want to read, this is a more condensed version, of what was it to carry a cross, uh, the process of crucifixions. Um, there were various methods of performing ex the execution. Usually the condemned man, after being whipped or scourged, dragged the cross beam of his cross to the place of punishment, where the upright shaft was already fixed in the ground. The total weight of the cross, of a cross, was three to four hundred pounds. The cross beam itself would have been one hundred to one twenty-five. Stripped of his clothing, either then or earlier at his scourging, he was bound fast with outstretched arms to the cross beam or nailed firmly to it through the wrist. We know that the Lord was nailed. Um, the cross beam was then raised high against the upright shaft and made fast to it about 9 to 12 feet, approximately 3 meters from the ground. Next, the feet were tightly bound or nailed to the upright shaft. A ledge inserted about halfway up the upright shaft gave some support to the body. Evidence for a similar ledge for feet is rare and late. Over the criminal's head was placed a notice stating his name and his crime. Death ultimately occurred through a combination of constrained blood circulation, organ failure, and asphyxiation as the body strained under its own weight. It could be hastened by shattering the legs with an iron club which prevented them from supporting their body's weight and made inhalation more difficult and accelerated both asphyxiation and shock. Crucifixion was most frequently used to punish political or religious agitators, pirates, slaves, or those who had no civil rights. In 519 uh, BC, Darius, uh, king of Persia, crucified 3,000 political opponents in Babylon. In 88 BC, Alexander Janius, the Judean king and high priest, crucified 800 Pharisaic opponents. And then about 32... Um, in this history note, it says about 32 Pontius Pilate had Jesus of Nazareth put to death by crucifixion. Um, I have some notes here that I want to that I want to share with you that stands out to me about bearing one's cross. Jesus said, "If a man does not bear his cross, he cannot be my disciple." Carrying one's own cross is personal. Um, it says, "Carry his cross." If a man does not bear his cross, it's not about carrying the cross for somebody else. Right. It's your cross. And that's important. Carrying the cross, it is your cross to carry. Uh, Jesus said specifically, and who doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Carrying someone else's cross would not be the same. To carry someone else's cross would be no different than carrying any other heavy load. In today's, you know how so many statements from the Word of God are just overused and misused, and, and it's almost as though if someone has a heavy burden to carry, they've got a lot of emotional, well, we all have our own cross to bear. You know, that is not what this is talking about at all. Um, uh, to carry someone else's cross would have been no different than carrying any other heavy load. When Jesus is speaking about bearing a cross, it's not talking about bearing a heavy load, that the, there's a heavy cost that comes with being a Christian. And in fact, he says that concerning loads, he says, my burden is light and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, but uh, so this carrying of a cross is just not that we have a heavy load to carry. Think about this. For Simon, who assisted in carrying the cross of Christ, this was vastly different than the burden Christ bore 
and carrying his own cross. Christ was bearing his burden, carrying his cross to his own crucifixion, to his own death. Simon got done assisting or carrying his cross um, the rest of the way. And when he was done, he put the load down and walked off or stood by and watched. There's a big difference between carrying your cross because when you're carrying your cross, this, there's, there's uh, something's going to happen at the end of that journey. There's a purpose. There's a reason for why you're carrying your cross. So don't think of carrying your cross as just we all have our own burdens and we all have our own things in life that we have to go through. That's not what it's talking about at all. Um, carrying one's own cross is a one-way journey. It's a one-way journey. When you carry a cross, there's no coming back. You've already been sentenced. You've already been condemned. Oh, these people, they, they had already gone through what they'd gone through. The sentence is final, and now you're on your way, and carrying your cross speaks of something's going to happen when you get to a certain place, right? And so Jesus' work wasn't done by just carrying his cross. He died on that cross. And when we carry our cross, there's something that's supposed to happen. I believe here's a lesson for us. Is there's something supposed to happen when we carry our cross. And, uh, oh, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, notice this, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You're carrying our cross. It's a one-way journey. What is supposed to be happening is that we uh, die to self. We, oh, especially when he's speaking, he's speaking to three different groups of people. And I want to look at what he was talking about when he's speaking to these three different people. So groups of people, so I don't get too far ahead of myself. The first was the multitudes. In Matthew 14, verse 25, it said, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then in conclusion of that phrase, he said, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. The truth is, is that these multitudes to whom he was speaking rejected him. These multitudes were not willing to forsake all that they had. They, what was, what, why did, why was Jesus rejected of his own? says he came into his own and his own received him not. Everywhere Jesus went, it says the great multitudes followed him. Why were they there? Why were these multitudes there? When Jesus turned and told them that, why were they there? It's because they wanted to see him heal somebody. They wanted to, you know, see a leper be cleansed. They wanted to see a lame man walk again. They wanted to uh, be, perhaps be fed. Well, you know, he fed, the, he fed the multitudes this one time. Maybe he'll feed us again. And uh, um, Jesus addressed that in multiple instances about why they were following him and they were seeking after a sign or this and that. They weren't following him for the right reasons. They weren't following him because they loved his preaching. And when he preached about repentance, that's what they wanted to hear. And they weren't following him because they were repenting. They, they rejected him. Um, and so... Um, the message that Jesus preached, the reason Jesus was rejected was because he preached repentance. Yes. The very first testament 
of the preaching of Jesus was in Matthew chapter 4. It was this. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of Jesus was about repentance. And Jesus said himself said in John chapter 3 that the reason that people reject him is because they won't come to the light. And, and that they, they um, uh, here, where is this? John, John chapter 3. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. The people of Israel ended up hating Jesus and killing Jesus, not because he went around doing good everywhere, not because he was a liar, not because he was a cheat, not because he was a false prophet, but they hated him because um, he preached of righteousness, he preached of repentance, and that people should turn from their sin and turn to God. And so uh, man has always sought for gods who condone their sins. But God is a righteous God. The whole reason that men ever listen to this, I hope I, I, I hope I can say it clearly as I was looking at my notes, I was like, man, that just doesn't really, that's not very clear. But <laughs> um, the whole reason that men ever do eventually believe on Christ is that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and that they might be right with God. The whole reason that people finally repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is because they reach the end of themselves and they know that I need to be made right with God. I don't want to die in my sin. I need to be forgiven. And oh, here's the thing. When a man reaches that point, he cannot still be in love with his sinful life and come to God sorrowful in search of forgiveness forgiveness, and yet insist on remaining the same. Right. You can't do that. When you come to Christ, you're not coming to Christ in true repentance. Now listen, a lot of people in our society are coming to Christ, quote unquote, saying a prayer, um, looking for a better way, looking for a better life. And yeah, this Christian thing looks pretty good. And, uh, but they really have no intent on leaving their wicked lifestyle. They have no intent on actually repenting. And uh, there's a lot of big churches out there that are that way, and they're that way for that reason, because they don't preach repentance. But Jesus preached repentance. And in speaking to these lost people, he's telling them, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In that bearing of the cross on that one-way trip, there it's in repentance there is a dying to self. I no longer care about myself. And um, there are many passages that speak about what happens in salvation concerning um, being dead, um, dead with Christ and so forth. But ultimately, it's not that there's any good works. Bearing our cross is not any good works that we are bringing to Christ. No, it's the opposite. What it is, is it's acknowledging that I have nothing to bring. I don't, I don't want to have part of my sin anymore. I don't want part of my old life anymore. I need to be forgiven. And um, there's a part where people reach the end of themselves. Yes. Right? Yes. And is not this picture of bearing your cross, it is when, you're, when a person figuratively is bearing their cross, like they did 
in crucifixions, it's a one, as I mentioned, it's a one-way street. And at the end of that road, there's a, you die. There's death involved. And the death that's pictured is dying to ourself. And that's why Jesus mentioned in several different instances, it's about forsaking not all that... If a man, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. The next instance is when a young man came running and falling down, crying out, Good Master, what shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, in this instance, this man was not a openly sinful, vile person. He was actually, a, by human standards, a good person. He was a young man who had been keeping the law. And in his mind, he wanted to know, What good thing shall I do? He says, what shall I do that I might have eternal life? Well, you can't do anything to have eternal life. You just simply trust in the work that Christ did on the cross on your behalf and and believe on him. And so Jesus, uh, um, to point out that he wasn't quite as good as he thought he was and that he did have idols in his life. See, this man thought that he was without sin and uh, he had idols in his life. It was possessions. It was things, his, his riches and his wealth. And he couldn't give them up. And uh, none of us are to have things in our life that we are not. The whole point of the lesson is there's not supposed to be anything in our life that is supposed to become, come between us and Christ. And what Jesus told him in this passage was not to just go sell. He says, one thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell all that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up, thy, take up the cross, and follow me. To actually leave his life, leave what he valued, to come follow Christ, he couldn't do it. And it says he went away sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. It was too much. And I want you to notice, he did not leave happy or fulfilled. Why was he so sad? He had possessions. He had this thing in his life that he loved so much that he wasn't willing to give it up. I thought that was the source of his joy. Right? Isn't that how we are? If I was to come to Christ, then it would be so sad and so sorrowful to have to give up these things. Well, if that's what makes you happy, then go be happy. But he went away grieved and he went away sad at that saying. For he had great possessions. And what stands out to me is the great possessions that he loved didn't make him happy. He was empty and he was sad, but he couldn't let it go. And that's just how it is with people. He wasn't willing to, this figurative figure of speech, to take up his cross and follow the Lord. That is how our idols are. They leave us sad and empty at the end of the day, at the end of life, no matter what they were. And I just want to point out that that poor soul to whom Jesus loved and spoke, that young man he talked to is still sad and grieved today. If there was never a point in his life where he trusted in the Lord, he's still sad and he's still grieved. Because all those possessions did nothing for him, and he's still empty. And he came to Jesus wanting eternal life. What, what, must I, what can I do to have eternal life? 
He didn't like what he was told, and he's still grieved, and he's still sad. The third instance is to those that were already disciples. See, taking up the cross and following Jesus is not just what you do until you're saved, so that you might be saved. And then after that, there's no more... No, it's a life. It's a daily life. It's a daily process. Um, so it's a different way, I believe, is how we picture it. Um, the third instance is those that were already disciples in Matthew 16. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And then, as I already read before, in Luke 9, which was a parallel passage, in Luke 9, he's also telling them about how he must go uh, to the cross and how he's going to be raised after three days and so forth. And then at, at the end of that, he says the same thing, but he changes it. He says, he doesn't change it, but it, it pulls out more of what he was saying. It says, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and come follow me. For whosoever will lose his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For those of us who are already following Christ, it is a daily process. Not for salvation, but there not there an aspect where when we look... Evidently it didn't get in my notes because I'm at the end of my notes. But I had the passage where when Jesus was in the garden, remember... And he was praying before he went to the cross. And he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, you know, um, basically thy will be done. Um, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but he's praying to the Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Right? Jesus came, in other passages it says, he came to do the will of his Father. Yes. Well, why did Jesus come into this world? He came here to die for sinners. That's why he came was to die for sinners and to, uh, and to do the will of his Father. And in that, he is our example. And we are to, every day, live for God and do the will of God, our Father, which is in heaven. And, and Jesus said, in, um, if any man will come after me, let him, take up his, let him deny himself. See, there's the self-denial. Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. We don't get to live for, be satisfied with living for God yesterday. And we lived for God last year. Oh, when we wake up today, we're still, we still have this flesh. We still have a sin nature. We, oh, you know, a lot of people look at Christians and they have this misconception that all oh, they're all a bunch of good people think they're that they don't ever do any wrong. It's like no, people who are truly Christians know that they are still sinners, and that they still sin and they don't want to. The difference is we don't want to, but we do anyway. Oh, but uh, but we've been forgiven and we have a right standing with God now, and there's still a need for us to take up our cross daily and follow Him. Dying to oneself, denying ourselves, and following Christ. Daily submitting to the will of the Father. We should be able to say, not my will, but thy be done. There shouldn't be a point in our day where we go, I know the Lord doesn't want me to do that, but you know what? 
I'm going to go ahead and do it. We should always be considering, what does God think about that? Right. Is God going to be pleased if I do that? And if the Lord's not going to be pleased with doing it, then we shouldn't do it. Deny ourselves, Because our self wants to do certain things. Listen to the wrong kinds of music. Watch the wrong kinds of things. Lust after this or that. And just let our anger get the best of us. Or I'm going to go tell that person. I'm going to tell him what I think. And, and it's like, would God want me to? No, I don't think I should. <laughs> and so deny ourselves. We have to constantly be denying ourselves. Denying ourselves. Taking up our cross and following him is, is, a, is a daily uh, process. In the ultimate sense, we must carry our cross daily in this way, is that we have to not love our life more than Christ. Ultimately, we're very fortunate in this country. We're not persecuted. Nobody's being thrown in prison so far. Um, uh, nobody's being taken out in the street and beat or whipped and, and being incarcerated or, um, or, or even being killed. But over and over and over down through history, Christians have literally lost their life for what they believed. And they were persecuted in so many horrible ways, and they died. Out of these that Jesus was talking to, out of all the apostles, only one died a natural death, including the Apostle Paul. Only one actually lived to be an old man, and that was the Apostle John. And he was telling them that you need to take up your cross daily and follow me every day when they woke up. They didn't know the way they were out preaching and serving. They didn't know if today's the day I'm going to be stoned. Today's the day. But they went out and did it. They took up their cross daily. And if that's what it took, it's all about not being first. It's about denying ourselves. Follow the Lord. And uh, even as Christians, it's not just lost people really need to understand that, you know, they need to deny themselves and repent and, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. No, we as the people of God need to continually carry our cross daily. Yes.